0: And today we have part two of our episode. I have been very patiently waiting for two and a half years for this conversation to get to talk to Dr. Donald Sturs, who just judged best in show at Westminster Kennel Club. So welcome, Don. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Laura. I'm excited to be here with you.
0: All right, guys, are you planning your next litter of puppies Or maybe you just finished your foundation bitch and you're ready to start health testing. Embark, creator of the highest rated dog DNA tests on the market, offers specialized testing just for breeders. And while they're offering a few different tests, only the Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit was made to provide breed-relevant disease screening for your purebred dogs. It includes traits testing, such as coat color and body size, DLA diversity testing, breed ancestry, easy-to-download OFA submission reports, and the only genetic coefficient of inbreeding test available. Find out why thousands of breeders have trusted Embark to enhance their breeding program, including me, through screening for breed-specific genetic conditions, understanding traits, and identifying genetic diversity. To save on the most accurate, most comprehensive dog DNA kit, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK to take $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK. I'm going to spin this even a direction I didn't even have planned, but I'm going to go there. Your profession, you are a doctor, you are a psychologist. And one of the things that we, I think, in this sport have lost a little bit of is our safe space. And so can you give us out here in listener land some coping skills, some ways to make dog shows back to what they were for you and I, a safe space?
1: I think that that's something that you know depends on individuals being able to choose situations that are safe. I think people sometimes go into things with not their eyes wide open and may find themselves in situations that are toxic. And so I think that it's important to have coming back to that, like just self awareness of what you need, like what would be a safe space, what you need. What would make a safe space for you might not necessarily be exactly what a safe space would be for me. So I think you need to be aware of what that is, what would make you feel safe, what makes you feel comfortable, what makes you feel like you're welcomed. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts on that side with the individual. I think on the other side of it, like if we just take a dog show, for example, I think if clubs view the dog show as more of a community event, rather than just putting on a dog show where the effort and the time is put into creating an event that makes people feel welcomed, that fosters positivity and positive interactions. And when I say community, I don't mean just the dog show community, but the community that surrounds where the event is itself, because God knows we need more people interested or at least more people who support it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's something that would be you know, helpful in this kind of safe space concept is for the events themselves to be put on with a mind or a thought in that direction of how do we make people feel comfortable here? How do we make them Mm -hmm. have a good time here today? You know, I know with Westminster, the club members think a lot about that. Like they Mm -hmm. think a lot about the exhibitors and how to make it, you know, a pleasant experience. You know, even just something as simple as the club members walking around and thanking people for coming. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you need? Is there anything we could do better? It's having those kind of conversations and taking that feedback and thinking in terms of The human aspect of all of Mm -hmm. this. I -hmm. think that would help, you know, to just kind of set the tone. When the atmosphere is devoid of that, like devoid of connection and positivity, you know, the activity itself can get really intense. Anything with competition can get really intense and people's emotions can run high. And so if you Kind of proactively set a tone or an atmosphere that's more celebratory or festive. I think it helps balance that out a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other one I think is important is us, the longtime exhibitors, the backbone of the sport at this point. We've grown up in it. There's some of us out there that are more jaded, maybe Mm -hmm. than you and I. Yeah. Yeah. How do we talk to them? How do we say, hey, is it really necessary to do or say that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a hard conversation.
0: And that's why I'm asking you, because you're a smart guy. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that's a hard conversation, you know, because what comes into play, you know, there are certain individuals who, you know, just out of respect, they've earned the right to say whatever they want to say. But I think if you have the relationship to be able to kind of direct the conversation at looking at what they said and how it fits in the context of things. Like I think sometimes people get jaded and they get lost in the fog of yesteryear. Like things were you know, so much better. And it's like, okay, I was there. Those things they were there too. Like people did awful things back then. There were good dogs and bad dogs. And there were dogs who won who were aberrant and all of those things were happening back decades ago too. So I think that's Part of the conversation is maybe reality check on that, right? <laughs> reality check, exactly. It's like, man, no, you know, or the notion that a breed was so much better, and I was like, mm, I don't know that it was, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think those can be meaningful conversations if you have them with the right tone. Right. You don't want to confront people because that immediately makes people defensive. I think it's more inquiry. You know, tell me more about that. You know, and then say, well, you know what? That sounds just like this in our current day situation you know i mean like you kind of navigate it that way or at least how it's how i handle it, it seems to go okay
0: <laughs> well and i just my listeners are amazing people and a lot of the people i talk to on the podcast are new they're just uh-huh. getting started yeah. and so i love being able to like you describe sitting around a setup listening to and. Clark and Michelle Billings and all the people of the day talk and incorporating their wisdom into your life. I love to be able to do that for my listeners vicariously by talking to smart people like you.
1: Oh, thanks. I mean, I think that that's a piece that is something that I think happened more naturally back Mm -hmm. in the day. I think that people hung around more. It was like you came to the dog show and you stayed for the groups. Mm -hmm. Whereas now people's lives are like, okay, I'm going to the dog show and then I'm going to the kid's soccer game and then I'm going to someone's, which one can make the argument, well, that's life balance and well-rounded, but it also then diminishes the value of the dog show day experience where you could find yourself in these conversations. If you're spending the day and you've got some hours where you're not Actually, preparing your dog or competing with your dog to kind of go and watch and sit. And I think that's probably one of the things that people could do more of is seeing the value in watching other breeds and having conversations with people from other breeds. I always found that incredibly enlightening. And, yes. you know, and then the way my brain works as a judge is I tend to group dogs in families kind of thing. Like if I look at the sporting group and then we have the natural break, right? of pointer set or Spanish on and what that means, right? Like what are the features that go along with that family? And yes, the details change from breed to breed, but there are some commonalities that are, you know, Spaniel features. There's commonalities that are retriever features and so on. To be able to have those conversations with people in those other breeds so that you get a really strong grasp of What makes your golden retriever different from that Labrador retriever and different from that flat coat retriever? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that people can have those conversations as well. And for me as a judge, it's like essential, you know, like I don't want to walk in and see a flat coat whose head reminds me of a golden retriever when that head on a flat coat is so distinctive. Right. And you don't know that if all you ever look at is flat coats, you don't know that golden retriever. (laughs) So I think, you know, that's part of it. I think also listening. A lot of people like to talk, but not a lot of people like to listen. And I found for me, from a learning perspective, you know, sometimes just sitting and listening is much more valuable than feeling the need to weigh in with my perspective. And don't get me wrong. I'm the first one to state my opinion, but it it's is, my
0: daily struggle, man. Like,
1: <laughs> But it is, I think, really meaningful from a learning perspective is to sit and listen sometimes and take it all in. I just had an experience. I actually just posted it on Facebook because it impressed me. So I was judging shows in Dallas and there was the Pekingese Club of America had their national... I'm
0: school. sorry. How is it you were the only person at judges education? That makes me insane. Well, I was happy. I was thrilled. I had it all to myself. I understand. I get where you're coming from. I'm just saying, come on, that is just wrong. It's the national and you are the only person there in a breed that is so distinctive, so specific, so detailed, so in need of people who appreciate those details and the quality. How could you...
1: speechless? Well, you know, for me, it just so happened that I go through these moments where I just lay to you know, there's a breed I really want to learn about. And it's more for me personally, it's not about like adding a breed, you know, I'm going to judge more. It's just so Pekingese have been a breed that I've always been fascinated by and have talked with people over the years at different points in time. And it's very fortunate to have been able to talk with some people who are now gone, who were really icons in the breed. And I Just recently, it was like, you know, I really want to get these. Like, I really want to know them. I want to really, really have a stronger grasp on these. And so I had started communicating with some different breeders, and they've been wonderful with sharing the information. Diane Bell and Tom Crowley from Canada actually sent me an Agilabre-Jones book on the breed, which is out of print, so you Mm -hmm. can't really get it. And they gifted me a copy and they took the time to go through and put post-it notes in like as a study guide through the book. Oh my God, that's
0: amazing.
1: I love that. And of course, David Fitzpatrick has always been very generous at the shows because with him, I'll just casually stop by his crates and go like, do you have some dogs with you today? And he'll just (laughs) pop them all out. and We'll go over them and he'll talk very honestly about them. So I've had those experiences and that's really great.
0: Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, you guys. If you are part of a national breed club in the US or Canada, I need you to listen up. My partners at Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet, have just launched a super exciting national breed club referral program. I mean, I'm saying, you guys have heard me talk about Trupanion's breeder support program before, and this is what gives you access to a special coverage offer for your litters that waives waiting periods for your puppies when you send them home. Now, you can partner with Truepanion directly to share this incredible free program with the breeders in your club. And the best part? Your club earns sponsorship support in return for every member that joins the program. It's pretty much of a win-win, guys. If you're interested and wanna learn more, head to my partner page at puredogtalk.com and click on the link at Trupanion.
1: So when I saw this, I was like, I'm going to be in Dallas. They're nationals in Dallas. You know, they had a nice entry, breeder judges, and they had this judge's ed piece. And now, I'm going to be honest. I actually had a moment where I'm like, well, I'm not doing this to check off the boxes to apply for this breed. I'm doing this personally, selfishly, just because I want to know them. Like they walk in my best in show ring and I want to really appreciate a great one. I don't know that I want to do toys or music as a breed, but I really want to know these just because I like them. And so I almost didn't go to the judge's ed because I felt like I don't want to take time away from this, you know, because that's not really why I'm going. I'll go talk to people on my own, right? But Susan Shepard, who was on the chair... Had reached out to me and it kind of, I think she just assumed because I bought the lunch box thing. There might have been an assumption like, oh, he's coming, he's coming for the judge's ed. And then I felt like I didn't want to offend anybody. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to the judge's ed. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> so Susan sent me an email, i so will meet you in the lobby at 7 30 in the morning. Da, 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 da. And so off I go and I'm ready. I'm ready to learn. I was like a kid going off to the first day of school. And so we got there and they had this great PowerPoint, really, really well done, like direct, succinct, clear, great visuals, you know, very clear on identifying the most important attributes. And they had a photo in there of a cut down Pekinese, So you could actually that see, and they had a number of breeders present and they had six dogs available to go over of different ages. And they had a bitch, a mature bitch who was cut down. So not only did I have the visual from the PowerPoint, but I had nice. this live, really lovely Pekinese bitch who was cut down so that you could, for me, what it does is I work off of a visual template when I think about breeds. And so in a breed like this, right, this coded breed, under which there's so much detail, detail right? Many important factors that you cannot possibly know, see, or understand unless you can assess it with your hands, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I usually start with the visual in my head, and up until this point, I hadn't seen a cut down Pekingese, so all I've still had was I was really starting to grasp the head, but I still wasn't sure of the body and the front construction. So, like, I'm just not sure what my hand should be feeling exactly, and This actually helped inform my hands, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my visual experience Mm -hmm. of the cut down dog informed my hands. So then I could then adapt that to, okay, this is what it felt like and looked like. And now when I've no longer have the visual input, I still have the tactile input. This is what it should feel like. And having people be able to say, okay, on this dog, feel this Mm -hmm. on this dog, feel that, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing and they had quality dogs for me to go over. And like I said, of all that, there was a puppy, you know, there was an older veteran and everything in between dogs and bitches. And then they took them in the ring and they moved them for me, which is another piece. The breed has such a distinct way of going. And yes. I think after this experience, I have a much better appreciation for what correct looks like. I think what I came away was, I think that people often accept something that's not actually the correct role and so you know being able to see it like the subtle differences between like oh that's it Mm -hmm. you know that's not it Mm -hmm. um that kind of thing and so I love all that kind of stuff Um, and then David wasn't exhibiting there and he was assigned to me as my ringside mentor so here I am now spending the day watching Pekingese with David Fitzpatrick I'm like heaven this is totally cool (laughs) and he's amazing because he's just so like even peeled and very honest and he obviously you know is passionate about his breed you know, what I liked is he's very similar to me Is I tend to focus on virtues. I learn better from showing me what is correct, what is right, as opposed to showing me what is wrong. Because I immediately toss that out of my brain because that doesn't help me. I need a template of virtue. I need a template of quality in my mind. And so David, I think, looked at things similarly, like he talked more about virtues than he did about flaws. Mm-hmm. So that was really helpful. And he would periodically, he's like, oh, let's go look at that dog. Like a dog would win a class and like, okay, but I need to get my hands on, right? right. So he would go over the dog first and then I would go. And so it was just this incredible day. And the Pekingese breeders were just so generous with their knowledge. And I got to meet so many of them. And then I actually had the opportunity to watch the breed the next day because my judging, I was done early enough. And I caught their breed judging ended. And went and watched it was a much smaller entry than the national but it you mm-hmm. know still was like for me I kind of used it like a test yeah like to say okay I just did right. all that so now let me sit by myself right. and watch these and see if I see it and <laughs> so Susan Shepard the mm-hmm. chairperson actually sent to the show the next day with one of the breeders two Pekingese books for me like just gifted me these oh beautiful Pekingese books to read and learn and I'm sitting there ringside. I've got my judge's thing and I got my two Pekingese books and I'm sitting watch. And so people kept coming over to me. I'm like, Oh, like are you studying Pekingese? And I'm like, yeah, I am actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so it was just this kind of really cool way to start off the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think it impacted the way I judged through the weekend because my brain was so like worked up and tuned in and detailed, detailed. Yeah. I was very detail focused.
0: You know what, Don? I think that's so fascinating. Just listening to you, just again, like a kid in a candy store, talking about education. (laughs) Right? That is what I would like for the listeners to hear: is the joy in learning for the sheer joy of learning.
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you know your your reaction is like, "Isn't that sad that I was the only one?" And yes, I get that because it was a missed opportunity for people. And you know, I'm sure they can go next year, but this year they missed an opportunity, and that is sad, but selfishly for me, it was like, I'm kind of glad no one else showed up because I might not have had the same experience. I feel that.
0: (laughs) I feel that hard. You know, one of the things that I think, and I think AKC is actually trying to do better at this, but one of the things that I try and do here, and that I think we are seeing more and more of as we go, one of the things that's improving, let's say in dog shows Mm -hmm. is the opportunity for exhibitors to Like we as judges should not be the only ones treated to a comparison seminar with Jenny Line going over English cockers, American cockers, and Springers and Welsh Springers and, you know, whatever. We shouldn't be the only ones that get that opportunity. Other people should have the chance to learn that or make the chance for themselves, which I think is one of the things I always encourage people to do.
1: Well, I think a number of specialties are trying to start to move in that direction or have been for a while. Exhibitor
0: education.
1: Yeah. And I think it's more often than not billed as breeders education, Mm -hmm. which I think is unfortunate because then I think to your point, someone might not see themselves as a breeder right away and could benefit from being there. But I found that people, when they're given the opportunity, they really do eat it up. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not for lack of desire. I think it's lack of availability to those learning experiences. And
0: I just saw a thing, a social media thing going around that breeders of merit should have to take the same test that you and I and other judges take on structure on basic confirmation, which I think is actually hmm. kind of genius. I, do think so. I totally think it's <laughs> genius because I've done a lot of judges education. And when I say stifle and they look at me funny, I'm really worried about this. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of, as we all know, a lot of the judges come into the process as breeders, the breeder process of going through judging. And I think, unfortunately, one of the things that we have seen in decline is basic education on structure basic animal husbandry, some of those things. I made a whole program about that. But anyway, Mm -hmm. so talk a little bit about that ways that listeners can avail themselves. You know, what are your three best tips for you? The person who loves to learn, what are your three best tips for my people that want to learn stuff?
1: I think there's a couple of things. I think one is you need to know who to learn from.
0: Oh my God. That is so on point.
1: (laughs) that's really key. It's great to have friends, but sometimes your friends are not the ones you can learn from. And you may need to seek out individuals that you don't have a natural connection to, or you don't have a pathway to. So that's number one. I think number two is being very clear on what your purpose is. Like, what are you seeking? You know, what is it that you want to get from the learning experience that you're pursuing? Because you want to be sure that you're pursuing the right type of thing. I think it's also important to know yourself as a learner. You know, we all process information differently and we all learn differently. And I know I learn much better visually than I do auditorily. I also know that I learn better by doing it myself with my hands than watching someone else do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's not that that's the right way, it's just that's how I learn. And I think it's important for each person to know themselves as a learner so that the learning experiences they choose meet those needs. Like, do they seek out a situation where they passively sit in an audience and listen to someone lecture? Like, does that work for them? That would not work for me because I don't learn that way. And so looking for situations that are going to play to your needs. So I think those would be the most important places to start is thinking about who you're going to learn from, thinking about why you want to learn and what you want to learn and know how you learn.
0: Oh my god that is genius you're a genius did i say did i say you're a genius and this is why i've waited oh so impatiently for two and a half years for this conversation
1: i don't know that i'm a genius i just have a lot of thoughts banging around in my head <laughs> i think they call that crazy
0: no no they do not call that crazy they call that genius oh my god all right well John, thank you thank you thank you i've taken a lot of your day and i cannot tell you how much I appreciate your time. Oh, I truly
1: enjoy this, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. I loved this chat. I hope we get to chat more soon.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's fabulous. <Yes. laughs> like the NPR of dogdom, pure dog talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. The Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for their generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons are invited to a private Facebook community. And that's where dog people, all of us together, can share, applaud, and commiserate we have monthly after dark gatherings where we can, you know, raise a glass and provide a virtual get-together for the entire group. I'm also so 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 excited about a very cool new feature that will be for patrons only, making its debut in the next few weeks. So, be on the lookout. There will be a chance available to you to sign up for the Pure Pep Talk. Pure Pep Talk is Pure Dog Talk's weekly mentoring message. Quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools that you can use right now. Sign up today and get a ping tomorrow. Join the best community in purebred dogs. Stop by www.puredogtalk.com the box right there at the top of the page. I might add PSPS. Finally, the first of what will be many curated ebook, audiobook options that is drawn from the Pure Dog Talk archives has, drumroll, hit the cloud. Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs is the perfect compilation for yourself, a friend, your puppy buyers, your kennel club, your 4-H club, shop the book tab on the website and check it out. Always remember, you guys, your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendent's Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk